0: Welcome to AI, Government and the Future, a podcast by Corner Alliance. We explore the intersection of artificial intelligence, government, and the future with your host, Alan Pence. We work with government to create results. We ignite your agency's mission by helping you to design and implement high impact and innovative federal programs in AI, broadband, cybersecurity, public safety, and more. Being a government ally is at the core of all we do. Introducing your host, Alan Pence.
1: Today we have Alex Worth with us. He is in my hometown, so all the way from Moldova last week, we're going back to DC. He's got Thomas Circle out there in the background for all of you, like uh, view from my window contest subjects. Alex is a CEO, co-founder of Quorum. And Quorum is a software platform for public policy advocacy, and he's going to tell us a little bit about it and talk a little bit about how AI is going to impact public policy making and public policy advocacy over the next few years. So welcome, Alex. It's great to have you here.
2: Thank you for having me, Alan, and I think it is a very pressing topic, so I'm glad we're talking about it.
1: So tell us about Quorum. What, is it, what does it do?
2: We're a public affairs software platform. Started the company in 2014, we launched in 2015. And our whole goal is helping public affairs and public policy professionals to map what's happening in the political and regulatory process, track all the statements that are coming off of Capitol Hill, all 50 state legislatures, the EU Commission Council and Parliament, Uh, And then actually put in actions and advocacy efforts to change elected or appointed officials' views on certain matters and have a whole series of tools to help that. And then the last part is we pull it all together with a nice little bow of reporting to be able to give people a full picture of their policy landscape and how their advocacy efforts are being impactful.
1: So, and you're covering the broad gamut of different kind of policies, so from
2: tobacco to environment to foreign policy, is everything? Exactly. We cover it all. Our whole goal is to get every publicly available document that we can get our hands on and stick it in a database. So people call us literally like the Google for Congress or all 50 state legislatures. We're now even going down to cities with more than 5,000 people at the local level to get all the city council meeting agenda. So all the way from local and we're doing more international, we're doing legislative tracking in about six countries now and tracking social media statements of elected officials in another 30 countries around the world.
1: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So you are a perfect position for AI, right? You've got all this data. So tell us about how AI is getting integrated into the tool and how you're thinking about it, into the platform.
2: So one, as you noted, we have a massive amount of data. We get 10,000 new documents every single day from Capitol Hill. There's 120,000 bills introduced every single year across the 50 state legislatures. And as you can imagine, those bills are obviously multiple pages apiece hundreds of hours of testimony on Capitol Hill or in-state legislatures and hundreds of thousands of tweets and press releases and Facebook posts and statements out there.
1: It feels exhausting.
2: In many ways, it is. And that is the wild one in that there is no way for a human to possibly consume all that information. And yet when you have all these government elected officials out there, they're putting out these statements all the time and putting this into the ecosystem and, and sphere. And so really, as I think about AI, there's three different levels of sophistication that we think about and goes into a maturity model. The first is just basic content generation. And so that's where a lot of us are seeing the impact of ChatGPT or Google's Bard now of saying, "Hey, I need a newsletter, write me a newsletter or write me an email to the team wishing them happy holidays or write me an email out to my key stakeholders or grantees and share with them a, a piece of information." And so We're bringing that into our platform a little bit to make it even easier to do. So if you're writing an email to a stakeholder, it gives you some suggestions on how to make it better. Or if you are doing a grassroots advocacy campaign of a write your member, call your member, tweet your member, you can insert 10 different form messages and then we'll customize those in infinite number of ways. So each one ends up being unique although still required that a human goes and press send, it's just not that same message. So that's really one, which is content generation. The second big way that we're looking at it is how does it speed up the use of the software and technology to make it even easier to access information? And so the first thing that we're doing is we're working on AI powered search. And the easiest way that I explain this is if you go on walmart.com or Amazon, and you say, I'm looking for black sneakers for men in size 10 and a half. Yes, that's my shoe size. You gotta go click a lot of different filters and then you say, oh, by the way, I actually want hookahs and I want this brand because the logo is a little less than the other brand. That's a whole process that is quite a little bit of work. And essentially us as a database, we go through the same thing. We want statements from Republican legislators on immigration policy who sit on the Homeland Security Committee in the last month. Those are all different filters. And what AI is going to be able to do and what we're releasing early next year is the ability to just go in and type in a search bar of give me statements from Republican lawmakers on immigration policy who sit on the Homeland Security Committee. And right there, the search results automatically load. And the cool thing about it is that functionality, we're going to start to see throughout the technology that we use as humans and, and individuals, where you'll be able to put into a Walmart and Amazon, I need black hookah size 10 and a half for men and boom, here's the product that comes and happens. And so I think it's gonna make our use of technology a lot easier and able to do things of saying, hey, create me a dashboard that compares how Democrats and Republicans are talking about immigration reform differently. Boom, there it goes. Or a cool one that our team has developed is, hey, I'm interested in tracking legislation and policy on unmanned aerial vehicles run a search, and what you realize is UAVs could be unmanned aerial vehicles, could be drones, could be non-human flying objects, and can just populate that. So that all ends up being the second of using technology better. And then the third one is actually making it smart in terms of the ability to understand the mass amount of information that sits in a database and either give summaries of that information, give suggestions, give informed perspectives. And what we're doing there is we're building a large language model on top of the quorum data to be able to help people intersect and dissect and move through that mass amount of information. And what it does is cut dramatically down the research time that's involved so that advocacy folks can spend time on what matters, and that's the human-to-human relationship that happens. So kind of three different places and ways to think about it at really three different levels of sophistication. But what is exciting is it gives a pretty clear map of how AI is going to end up impacting all of us as humans using technology.
1: So that last one, you called it a research. Is is it sort of like almost a strategy tool? Like, give me an example in that last one. It's like, I'm a wind power advocate. So like, what am I going to do with that third piece of
2: it? So one, more broadly, it can be used to help execute strategy, and that's the goal. But you'll be able to put in a question and say, OK, well, how has Senator John Tester of Montana changed his policy on windmills on public and government lands over the last 10 years? And we'll be able to give you an overview and say, well, Senator Tester in 2016 said this, but in 2018 said that. And in 2019 said that. And so overall, he has gotten more positive on this and helped enact X or Y or Z piece of legislation. And that statement right there previously was five hours of work because you had to go through, find all the statements from Senator Tester, search for all the ones that mentioned WIND, read all of them, get the snippets, and then like put that into an actual sentence and paragraph that you could go and talk about with it. And instead, we're going to be in a world where AI is just going to give it to you just like that.
1: Okay, I got it. All right, so I'm going to go back to number one, and I'm going to grind my own personal axe here. So, speaking for my my fellow legislative correspondents, I was I, that was my first job on the Hill. You know who they are, Alex. But for our audience, these are the people that respond to all the messages that come in to the congressman or senator. So, these people are obviously going to be overwhelmed by stuff. You know, my guess is your answer would be they're going to use AI to respond. So, first, I mean. How do you see that? Are they going to get overwhelmed? Second, are we devaluing input itself? Like if I'm just, I know that these are like 50,000 AI generated things where someone popped in their issue. I mean, and we did that, you know, we had that with email as that grew, that became a problem and things like that. But, you know, when people picked up the phone and called or they came to do, you know, that means a lot more than some email form, right? So talk a little bit about how you see that impacting input on the hill.
2: So I actually think it's going to increase the value because people are going to be more articulate, more specific, and more detailed on the impact of their policy issue and why the given legislator should care about it. And for background, right now, how it works is that any you know, citizen has the ability to go and write their elected official, whether it be a city council member, state legislator, member of Congress, and the members of Congress sit there and have the benefit of having great LCs, like you were back in the day, to come and literally legislate. By the way, I
1: wrote—I think it was 15 responses in one hour. That was like my record. I was just like, I was like going.
2: Yeah, who are literally writing responses and replying on behalf of the member of Congress. And there are people who will write personally, there are people who write handwritten notes. If you can believe it, there are still people that fax messages in to this day. But there also are broader advocacy campaigns that are run where people will send the same generic form template in And the office literally says, well, we got 5,000 or 10,000 of these same templates today. Someone is clearly sending the message. And they turn around and they have a form letter that someone like you wrote and mail it back out to everyone. And the big thing that is going to change is the technology is now going to be there where instead of having 10,000 of exactly the same messages that their software system knows are the same, they're going to have 10,000 messages on this given topic. And so to exactly your point, what offices and broader government officials are going to need to do is make sure they have strategies in place to be able to figure out what is it that their constituents are reaching out on so they can get them the right message back. Because it's not going to be just this, well, 98% of the text is the same, so it must be the same message anymore. And I actually think it's going to create a more impactful experience because as a person on the other end reading them, you're then going to have a much more clear of a reason of why does this matter to your constituent? Why do they care about it? And also, why should you care about it? But for any of the government officials that are listening, this is also where you need to put your antenna up to is that pitches are going to become way more persuasive as they've ever been. Because take it now, there's 535 members of Congress to personalize a pitch for each of those 535 members of Congress. Like that's a work stream, let alone you have to understand who are their districts, what do they represent? There's people that know all the ins and outs of, oh, well, they care about this because they've got a college in their district or this big employer, but AI is going to put all that at someone's fingertips that they can generate and actually customize the pitch for all 535 members. And so I think it is just being aware that that is possible and that influence is going to get more persuasive that members are going to then need to be aware to separate, okay, well, what do they believe and where do they want to use that to determine their own position?
1: So you're kind of hitting a little bit on like, we have the term astroturfing, right? Which is policy efforts out there generating sort of what usually their opponents says are false groundswells of support for something. So classically it'd be like some oil company saying that, oh, drilling in this oil well is great. And having like patient advocacy groups that are funded by pharma, you know, stuff like that. So this obviously like superpowers all those actors so what's the discussion in the background on that
2: Yeah, so I don't know if it superpowers them because the core of people taking action is not going to change. And what we make very clear and both we as a company believe in and also is incredibly important by the officials on the House and Senate side is that every message that goes to a legislator or every comment that is submitted to a regulatory agency is submitted by one individual human themselves pressing click, I want to write this message in. And so that authenticity is extraordinarily important. Now, there is a negative world that people talk about of, oh, well, you could have AI bots going and putting all these comments and pieces in. And that is where it is up to responsible actors like Quorum and our competitors to make sure that does not happen. And also where the regulatory agencies are also putting in their own checks along the way and requirements of how to make sure that it either comes through a legitimate source like communicating with congress which is how we send the messages up to capitol hill behind the scenes or through a captcha like process as it comes to regulatory websites so that we do have that authenticity of people participating in a democracy but on the other side of that people now have the ability to write their own persuasive comment and you can go do that and do a day of research and come up with something that should mean a lot to a regulator or a legislator Just what's going to happen as a result of AI being here is that that's going to then be possible to do at scale for all the regulators or all the legislators very quickly. And that's where it's going to change the game. It's almost as if, you know, you're debating on two sides and you've got two debaters and suddenly you get a super boost where like they have way more information and way more intellectual power to go through and sort through things. And they're able to then come and be like, all right, well, here's the most persuasive case that happens. We're getting that super boost with AI and that's the big kind of wake up call that is coming and people need to get ready on both sides for it.
1: Yeah. So let's think about that if you're at the at OMB at Office of Regulatory Affairs or something. And what should these people are your congressional office? Like what do you think these people should be doing to make sure that they're sorting the signals from the noise or the false signal?
2: So one is increasing the awareness about what AI can do with your entire staff and team, because I'm sure those that are listening to our podcast and are probably the early adopters and the technology enthusiasts because they go podcast on government and AI, I want to listen to it. And that's awesome. Keep doing that. But you need to be aware that there's a whole series of other people within your organization or office who probably don't fully get what AI is, don't get what it's going to impact the job and may end up seeing and being like, oh, wow, this is, you know, really persuasive and this is changing. So that's one, increase awareness. The second is to actually have a strategy and say, all right, well, if this is going to come true and we're going to have many more personalized pitches and people reaching out, how are we going to respond to that as OMB or as a regulatory agency or as an office? And what does that mean for us? And as we think about like kicking off the new year and thinking about the year ahead, I think that that is a very relevant topic that I would encourage folks to have the conversation. And the reality is it'll be a little bit different for each individual involved. That's the big change that's going to be coming.
1: So are you saying I should go raise money to create a tool to help them deal with all the platforms coming out though?
2: Sounds like maybe that's a little
1: Christmas gift.
2: A little Christmas gift to you and there's a business idea. But I also think on that note is also worth this audience knowing we are seeing the biggest technology transformation since the invention of the internet with AI where there is a whole new wave of innovation that is coming of people doing exactly that, of saying, I can plug into the chat GPT API, or I can come in and plug into this large language model and be able to do this. And there's going to be many more tools out there beyond even the ones that you or I could sit on this podcast and think about. And that is just the importance that blockchain might have been a little more of a fad of like, oh, it's web three and people are excited, but people didn't see fully of what's the impact at the end of the day. This we are all seeing and living the impact and it's going to be significant and we're in the early, early innings of it.
1: And I think one of the key messages I've been trying to get across doing this is, look, we all know government has difficulty with procurement, it's slow, you know, it has a lot of conflicting priorities, but if they just sit still, there's a tsunami coming that will pretty much overwhelm them. And the current structures I see working, you know, we work with the bureaucracy every day, cannot handle what's gonna come at them. And I think it's months away, not multiple years away.
2: Well, I think the other side of it is, you know, there's both, hey, here's what's coming, but then there's also, what are you missing out on? And this goes to my second bucket of things, and even third bucket, that AI is gonna come make it much more easier for us to do a whole series of parts of our job that are usually the most arduous and tedious tasks in our day. And to those people out there that are doing things that you go, oh, I think computer could do this or someone could come in and summarize this or put this together. That technology is being developed and worked on. And the broader goal that both Forum has and others have a thing of the application of AI, how do we spend time on the things that are more meaningful, the strategy, the policy, the relationships, the engagement that people have? Because that should be the core of where we are spending time either as government officials or as elected officials and engaging or as third party advocates, because that's where the things really, really get done and that's where I think it's essential that government leans in on the earlier side to looking at adopting and bringing into their own work to get, capture all those benefits that other organizations outside of government are going to be capturing.
1: We had talked about this briefly. In my view, a ton of what government does is try to get the perspectives, background, and information from a variety of the stakeholders in whatever issue it is. So they could be state and local citizens, other parts of government, that kind of thing. And there's a whole regulatory apparatus around the soliciting information and just huge amounts of money and time and process put into gathering that. And so like, I don't see that going away, but I do see the potential for government to be able to start doing 90, 95% jobs on what are the different stakeholders thinking about this. Because they're going to have access to tools like Quorum and others, where you can almost have avatars for different kind of people and interests out there. So like you were doing a rulemaking, you could probably already pre-predict 98% of the comments. right? And so you could maybe shorten regulatory times by saying, here's what we've considered Now, what is an addition to that? Or even if you have the same time, you could probably even get deeper into what people's concerns and thoughts are rather than the surface stuff, they can take care of that. So it seems to me like a huge tool for them to inform themselves.
2: Absolutely, so a couple of thoughts on that. One, a real world business example. Right now at Quorum, we're implementing an AI program that is taking all of our HR documentation. So team handbook, employee benefits policies, time off, all the things that go into the employee, and you're going to be able to use that to ask questions and create basically a virtual avatar. So instead of going and saying, Well, you know, how does the commuter benefit fund work? It's, Hey, here's the exact info that you need presented right there. And that's being able to be built off of all this internal information and documentation that we have. Uh, And that's happening today. The technology exists that is out there. And so your idea in world, that you could have an avatar or a large language model that goes and takes all the information from a major trade association or nonprofit or advocacy group or company and say, represent this individual company and participate in the rulemaking process is 100% possible and doable. And one where as we think about, okay, well, what does that iteration of government do? Government could choose to have this round table of avatars smart on all the issues representing the diverse perspectives and let it run a little simulation. And you literally could have it operate at the moment of saying, hey, come up with a rule that is most beneficial to all these groups or that is preferential to these three groups while making sure it doesn't harm these two groups and that there's benefit and possibility there. And then what I would share is to any of the third party advocacy groups listening in on this is you need to be thinking about, okay, well, what information are you putting out there and how are you leveraging and making that smart to participate in this broader process? Because every report you have on your website, there's now the ability for an LLM to digest that and go through it. And so organizations that have more information out there and have been really intentional about putting their perspective and opinions is going to make these LLMs smarter, whether it be your avatar idea, the quorum overview of here's how things are happening on a given policy or what people think about it, Or broader, people are just working to navigate Washington. And I actually think, you know, another way to say this is that information becomes even more valuable than it is today. Because right now, there's a discount on that no one can read it all. And if you actually have an AI bot or LLM that can read it all, there's a lot of value in the content that you are putting out. And that's part of thinking about differently of how do you have to change your strategy around it.
1: That's a great point. It's the new Google, right? So search and it's going to be a lot more powerful. So I love that. And thinking about that, you know, like I love hearing you doing that. We're doing the exact same thing. The other thing we're doing right now is for each one of our government projects, we have to be careful and not use government information, but for the non proprietary information. We're trying to create GPTs for projects. So they become, first of all, it's a storehouse of knowledge. If someone leaves, you know that the information stays there and it becomes a way to onboard people, to query things, to create content. And we could do everything much faster. We're dealing with grants that has like thousands of pages of documentation about it. And like you can get that into a chatbot and a GPT that can respond and create content. I mean, it's hugely powerful.
2: That's amazing. I love that example. And I think that you know it's really worth thinking about for all the folks on the government side listening to this of what impact could that have at your organization? If there was a chat bot for the Department of Energy or for your grant making or your program. And I will say, you know, both you're doing it and you know what we're doing on our side is we're making it possible so you can chat with a piece of legislation and actually get answers by saying, hey, what does this bill do? Or would this bill impact X or Y? because we know the arduous task is going through and reading the 30 to 80 pages of the bill. And I think we probably all saw on Twitter the photo of the Senate aides moving the Defense Appropriations Act through it. I mean, it's massive in terms of it. And so if you can make that smarter rather than just a control F search, There's huge possibility there. So what does that then mean for a grant program or being able to query all your funded grants or all the funded reports that are coming back from the grantees? There is tremendous opportunity, but I think it requires people opening up that perspective and thinking bigger of what does it mean. And that's where you go back. You have to educate yourself on this major technological transformation happening
1: our profession, we've read endless stories about retirement of all the senior federal workers and the workforce is skewed definitely toward the older ed. This seems to me like the perfect way to have the knowledge transfer happen. So we've got to almost do it before people leave and we lose all this knowledge that we've had before. So
2: On that, it is worth addressing one piece. And I have had users of us come up and be like, is AI going to take my job? And so I think we, it's important to talk about that. And my view on that is no, because Again, the critical piece to all of this is the strategic thinking, the policy making, the relationships, the conversations with stakeholders and the implementation of it. And so I really look at AI as this huge boost and benefit to let people spend time on the things that bring them the most joy and not spend time pouring through a 1,050-page bills to try and figure out what they care about or not. And so for anyone out there that has that fear, I think it is one that is would like to play down a little bit because what you don't want to have happen is that you don't then embrace the technology and find yourself in a position where the technology is replacing you because you're not using it to do your job better.
1: I mean, I use Excel as my example. So there used to be tons of people in corporate offices that would maintain ledgers for financial information and stuff like that, and do simulations and all this stuff. And then Excel came along and automated. You know, you put in the stuff, it automates it and made it easier. Well, there are not fewer people working in finance today, so. They're just doing different stuff. They're just not doing the mundane work. They're doing the actual interpretation. So I think it's very similar. Yes, it will change your job. That's for sure. But I don't think it's going to end people's jobs. And no technology ever has. So, And let's be clear, unemployment is lower than it's ever been. I get that people are afraid of it, but it is. I do agree with your take on it. So let's go back a little bit. So obviously now people are going to have access in the advocacy community to these tools like yours. So... How are you thinking through, is there like a cost thing here where like, hey, the best people are going to have the most sophisticated models. And so they're, and they're going to have to pay this amount of money for it. Is this going to disadvantage like the one person or a small organization? How do you see that?
2: So it's a great question. I actually think it's going to have the opposite impact in putting more information in a more thoughtful way in the hands of more advocates and people. And the same thing applies to when we first started Quorum, that if you think about this mass amount of government documentation that's happening every day, only the most well-off organizations could ever possibly navigate Because you needed tremendous human hours to just get the information in the same place, let alone to navigate through it. And so the big aha and one of the biggest impacts that Quorum has had that I am incredibly proud of is we've made that available so that one person with a small budget could come in and say, well, I can have access to all of that information and go be able to search for the key information in Needle in a haystack that I'm looking for. Now, what's happened is that now that that's become more possible, the benefit then goes to those with the most largest number of people to go do the research and the policy thoughts and the strategy, navigating through all those documents and reading through them and making that happen. And so the potential that AI has is to take all of that effort and be able to make it accessible to one person so that behind you, you have this power boost, an army of insight and information and summarization you're not having to go do as an individual. And so really where then the advantage is going to be in the impact is who has the people out there to actually go form the relationships, have the conversations and implement it. Because I don't think, at least in my view, we're going to be in a world where you're going to have like an avatar go and do your lobbying and your conversations for you. That's still going to be a human to human thing. The same way that if someone's applying for a grant, they want to talk to the person who's their program officer, about how they're implementing it. And so if that doesn't go away, then it's really going to be about, okay, well, who has the best relationships? Who has the ability to come and influence? And where are those, the human-to-human connections that I think can be incredibly rewarding and powerful?
1: Interesting. So this is a little off topic, so I don't answer if you don't want to. But one thing I've been looking at is like sort of this barbell that's happening in the AI business space or like what's happening with the technology. So it strikes me that it's very clear that Microsoft and Google and all these guys are going to do really well with this because essentially they're all going to end up with similarly powerful models in some fashion, right? And it's about selling, the they're really selling the compute at a certain point and they're kind of already doing that as cloud providers, right? So then I think about like every time they come out with an update, I feel like, 50,000 AI business models just got wiped out because they just added its features in ChatGPT or Mistral or whatever. So for you guys, how do you build a moat or, you know, a competitive advantage if it keeps getting easier to index all the information? Like maybe it took you X number of hours and time, but in another year, it'll take somebody one one thousandth of that time to get up to where you guys are so how do you stay ahead in this like arms race
2: this is where really the strategic advantage that companies and organizations have is the data that they're sitting on top of and so i think you're spot on that if it just comes to pure ai features and functionality there's a chance that JetGPT comes out with an update and suddenly you can upload a pdf and chat with that pdf and therefore it goes and wipes out a whole business What is different is what we have is this whole database of information going back now the last 15 years of all the policy, all the bills, all the statements, all the information. And that requires a tremendous amount of effort and technology to be able to put together. And so just for example, take your congressional committee hearing. We have very specific technology that goes in and recognizes the face of the senator who's talking matches it up to their name using OCR and screen reading text and then says that that senator was saying these statements during this time. And so that's something that, yes, there's AI that is being used there, but ChatGPT or Google BART or Gemini is not gonna come in and come do that for congressional hearings. The same way if you take the congressional record, You actually have to write a really specific parser to be able to break out the statements for individual legislators than just like, hey, here's the whole thing. And that's where it is important to be a sophisticated consumer, because someone might say, hey, I have AI for the congressional record. But if it can't tell you who made the individual statement in the record, a legitimate problem with how it's produced, there's going to then be a problem of then is that information that's coming back accurate or not? And so our competitive advantage is our ability to get the mass amount of information that is out there from some easier sources and some more difficult. And then second, to make sure that we are putting very legitimate tools and that are sophisticated and specific to the use case on top. Because as you can imagine, you don't want to be using that you know large language model for HR that is HR specified for the work that you're doing for advocacy, the same way that you probably don't want to use the advocacy LLM for the work that you're doing on grant making. And each of those needs to be different. And that's where there are going to be specialists that are going to be out there at leveraging the value and providing specific solutions.
1: And then I assume there's some amount of learning that goes on as the information is used, right? The longer you use that information, the more you're kind of tailoring it and it's learning from its interaction with the users,
2: right? 100%. And I think that there's a really interesting story here, actually, in GitHub Copilot. So GitHub is the software repository for code that most sophisticated development organizations used, put all their code in and be able to pull code together and push code to the site and upload. And they introduced an AI Copilot called GitHub Copilot. When it came out, it was a joke among engineers they're like this doesn't work it doesn't pull the right information like really you want people to pay for this this isn't good and so people kind of rolled their eyes at it but there were adopters and early adopters that started to use it and the individual copilot itself learned from those adopters using it and so how this works behind the scenes is that if you copy and paste information from jack gpt or github copilot it goes oh well that must be good because you're copying and pasting it Or if you go run a search and then it wasn't good enough and you run it again, it learns and is like, okay, well, the last answer wasn't good because you made me run it again. And so over the course of a series of months, GitHub Copilot got better and better and better that people started using it where instead of using search to go find the snippet of code, they just put it in GitHub Copilot and the information and results came out. And so what started is people being like, that doesn't work. The AI got so good that it's become this incredible product that now Microsoft has got a competitive advantage around because both they have the software and the architecture where the data is going in, in the first place, which is GitHub. And then two, they have the smart, sophisticated, large language model that has learned from it. And then that has very significant effects. And you look at a business like Stack Overflow who's seen their page traffic dramatically decrease because everyone's going to AI's GitHub Copilot or ChatGPT to ask questions about code and code snippets and how to do things. And that's the potential to fundamentally change business models as the AI gets better and better.
1: That's pretty amazing. Well, uh, this this has been awesome. It's really, I mean, this is really exciting. It's like, I feel like we're right at this beginning of this, like what's going to, really just transform policymaking, government. It's going to be a fascinating process to watch. And it's really cool seeing someone like right on the edge of it. So thanks for being on today.
2: Of course. Well, I really appreciate you doing this. And I think it is excellent because we all have got to consistently be learning, trying to stay ahead because it is changing fast out there by the week, by the month. And the biggest thing that we all can do is educate ourselves because it'll change how we approach work and make sure that we're prepared for the exciting future that's ahead. Cool. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Alan.
0: AI, Government and the Future is brought to you by Corner Alliance. To find out more about Corner Alliance and how we work with government to create results, visit our website at corneralliance.com. And then make sure to search for AI Government Future in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Corner Alliance, thanks for listening.